Wow. Thank you, Chris Langford. Amen. That's one of my favorite songs I listen to on Way FM. I love that song. I believe it's Casting Crowns, I believe, that sings that. Uh, Mark Hall, I'm telling you, what a song. What a message in song we just heard. You know, we've been singing about that all morning. Have you gotten that from our song selection and the words that we sang today about how God is our refuge and how He is our strength? We don't have to be afraid. You know that? You know, a lot of times we fear a lot of things, and so we don't have to be afraid. We really don't. And so I pray that you're trusting Christ in your life, not just through salvation. You know, salvation is a fringe benefit, that we're going to heaven. But what does salvation actually mean to be saved? It means Christ is Lord of my life, and nothing can happen to me unless it passes through the Father's hands. And so that's the greatest security you'll ever have. We live in an age of fear where all we hear now about is security and all of those kind of things. And we all need that. But I'm telling you, the greatest security blanket that you'll ever have is the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. You can sleep with him at night. He'll take care of you. He'll protect you. You don't have to live in fear. You really don't. And that ministered to me today. And Chris' song really ministered to my heart. And Dwayne, thank you so much for, you know, singing those songs today. It's just not a song. It's a message. And it ministered to me. And I hope that you uh, got ministered to through our singing today. And I hope that you listen to the words of those songs. And now, game on. Amen? Game on. BBS week. Be praying for our children. Be praying for our teachers this week as we celebrate Vacation Bible School. And uh, I'm headed to Dallas after this service today. My wife and I are going to the annual Southern Baptist Convention in Dallas, Texas. Be in prayer for our state or our national convention. It really needs prayer. There's a potential of, a, of some division there among the Southern Baptist Convention. And I read the other day where they have more media lined up for this convention than any other convention we've ever had. They are like vultures waiting for some bad things to happen so they can print it out, right? That's just the way it works. So pray for our Southern Baptist Convention. Pray for Dr. Steve Gaines, who is our president. We have a couple of men running for president. So pray for our Southern Baptist Convention that we would exalt the Lord Jesus Christ and we would be a great testimony. We're a Southern Baptist church here at Lindsay Lane. Now, we're not governed or run by any entity. We're a member of the Southern Baptist Southern Baptist Convention, but we're an autonomous church led by your pastor and staff. So even though we're a part of the Southern Baptist Convention, we're not governed by the Southern Baptist Convention. Just want you to know that, right? I'm going to heaven because I'm a Christian, not a Baptist. Hallelujah. And amen. Let's pray. Father, now as we speak from your word, you have already spoken to us. You spoke to us this morning in our devotion. We got up early, spent some time with you this morning already, praying that you would take care of us and give us a good day and Then, Lord, we came to our connect groups and heard our teachers stand before us and give us a word from you. And, Lord, just fellowship with one another. And then, Lord, we get to come into this sanctuary, Lord, and and those in the contemporary service as well as we meet now and hear another word from you. And, Father, we've heard a word in song already that teaches us we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to live in fear. 
Because, Father, we have the Holy Spirit of God residing in us that leads us into all righteousness through Christ. And so, Lord, now as we open the Word of God and talk about the church of Laodicea, I pray, O oh God, you would speak to our hearts. And I pray that, Lord, as we hear a word from you, that you would minister to us and you would grow us in our faith and grow us as a church. We may be more like the church you would have us to be, Lord. Thank you for Christ. He's the head of the church. We're the bride and body. And one day we'll be with you in heaven and reign with you forever. Until that time, I pray you'll find us faithful. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, open your Bibles to Revelations chapter 3. Revelations chapter 3, as we conclude our study of the seven churches in chapter 2 and chapter 3 of this great book, Revelation. And so we've been talking about the seven churches. We've been evaluating the seven churches. So let me give you a quick review. Church number one was Ephesus. It was called the Loveless Church. They lost their first love. And then second, we looked at Smyrna, the persecuted church. They were suffering, but they were faithful. No condemnation against the church of Smyrna. And then Pergamon, or Pergamus, is called the compromising church. Satan got a foothold in that church. And number four, Thyatira. The church was called the corrupt church because they were weighed down with sexual immorality in that church. And then Sardis was called the dead church. They had a reputation, but in name only, actually the church spiritually was dead. And then last Sunday we talked about the church of Philadelphia, the church of brotherly love, how they were full of loves, had an open door. God had given them an open door full of opportunities. No condemnation to that church as well. And in the seventh church, church number seven, in chapter three, we find the church of Laodicea. It's called the lukewarm church. How would you like for Lindsay Lane to be called the lukewarm church? I wouldn't like that. I, we're not lukewarm. Amen? I, I pray that we're the hot or cold, as Jesus is going to teach us here in this word today. But they were the lukewarm church. They were lacking spiritually. Uh, and because of that, they thought well of themselves, but as a testimony, they were lacking spiritually. So uh, I want to read a statement about the church of Laodicea. It's going to be on the screen on this statement. I want you to follow as example of this no church number seven. Listen with me. Laodicea most likely represents the church era that will be in existence when Jesus returns. Each one of these seven churches... Remember, we've talked about this. They represent, in our history, an era of that church life. And so last week we talked about the church of Philadelphia. You know, we, do we resemble that church, the church of Sardis? Are we a dead church? But there's going to be a church here when Jesus returns. And so Laodicea represents probably the era of existence of that church that will be here when Jesus comes back. Laodicea happens to represent many churches today which are lukewarm. There are a lot of similarities between the church of Laodicea and the organized Christian community today. Laodicea was an affluent and wealthy church, but spiritually they were poor. The mission of evangelism was being replaced by the mentality that the kingdom of God could be established here and now by human activities. They were seeking kingdom on earth, they were seeking a kingdom on earth where justice will reign and nations will experience peace coexistence. You ever heard that? 
the church will be was lukewarm in that it was compromising and conceited. This type church coveted politi- political power, but not the power of God. It was tolerant and politically correct. This church of Laodicea. And Jesus had a lot to say about this church. It was a wealthy church. A very affluent church of all the seven churches Laodicea was probably the most wealthy and affluent. It prospered in banking, it had in its location. By the way, all seven of these churches are within miles of each other. They're in Asia Minor. And so there was a lot of commerce. There was a lot of traffic. The road, as we talked about Philadelphia, the road to the east. Uh, to, to the east. And so all of these had great amounts of people there and commerce and people trading and buying and selling. And so Laodicea was very prosperous in commerce, and they manufactured black <clears throat> black wool there. It was a, there was a medical school that was noted for its production of salve that would use in, in eye disease. They manufactured it there and processed it. The city was surrounded also by hot by hot mineral spirits. They had these like in Arkansas. They had these hot mineral springs, and they were surrounded, <clears throat> and some of that water. Was being transported by conducts. It was being transported from the church of Colossae and down to Laodicea. And by the time the water had run through those conduits, when it got to Laodicea, it was lukewarm. Therefore, the terminology came about of lukewarmness. And so we see that. Now, in, in, in chapter four, in chapter three, look in verse 14. Let me read this and look what verse one says. Follow with me. And to the angel of the church of Laodicea, right, of the Laodiceans, right. These things says the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. Now notice in each one of these churches that he begins writing to that church, he gives a description, John does, Jesus gives a description through John the Revelator of himself. It's interesting what he says here. He calls himself the amen. Now that amen simply means truth. Jesus Christ is the way, he's the truth, and he is the life. So he says, hey, I am the amen. Equivalent to I am in the Old Testament, if you will. He says, I am the amen. I am truth. I am the faithful and true. And he is faithful. We've already talked about that this morning, saying about that. Our Lord is faithful and true. He's the organizer of the creation of God. He was there in the beginning. In Genesis, God said, let us make man in our own image. And so the Lord Jesus Christ was even the organizer, if you will, of all creation. He says that there in verse number one. And so he is, he refers to himself, and he is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. All right. Now, I want to give you three things that John brings out in this, in chapter three here, talking about the church of Laodicea as we conclude chapter three. Three things. Number one, first of all, he brings the indictment by Jesus. The indictment by Jesus is found in verse 15 through verse 17. Let me read that to us. Now, watch what he says to this church of Laodicea. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. And by the way, I wish you were cold or hot. Hmm. 
so that because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. By the way, this is Jesus speaking. Because you say, this is what you say about yourself, church of Laodicea. You say, I am rich and I have become wealthy and I have need of nothing. And you do not know that really you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Wow. What an indictment that Jesus Christ gives to this church of Laodicea. Last Sunday we talked about the church of Philadelphia. It was the most beloved of all the seven churches And now we see Laodicea, which was probably the most despised among all the seven churches. Here's a truth in your outline that I provide for you. I hope you'll take this outline. I know some of you are. Some of you send me an email. Say, hey, I filled it out. I just wanted you to know. And I appreciate that. Here's the first truth in your outline. The indictment by Jesus. There was no word of commendation extended to the Laodicean church. There was no word of commendation. What does that mean? Jesus really had nothing nice to say to this church. Can you believe that? There was no commendation to them. Why? Why wasn't there? First of all, because they were lukewarm. They weren't hot. They weren't passionate. They weren't excited. They weren't very enthused. They weren't hot or cold. And so he had no word of commendation. You're neither hot or cold. I wish you were one or the other. They were lukewarm. Have you ever drank coffee that was lukewarm? Oh, yeah, I have. <clears throat> Matter of fact, years ago, when my wife and I were first married, I was working at Monsanto, and I got up very early, as I do, and get drink coffee, and she had the coffee ready. And there it was. And I began to drink my coffee, getting ready to go to work. And all of a sudden, I got to the bottom of the coffee, and something touched my nose. And I looked in that coffee cup, and there was a roach in there. <laughs> Under God. You know what I did? I spewed it out. All over Patsy. Amen. No, I didn't. I just spewed it out. I didn't know what it was. I looked, and there was this roach. In my coffee cup. Horrible. Horrible. And I spewed it out. See, most pastors would never tell you that. Amen? They would never tell you that. I'm good in my own skin, okay? I've grown since then. I've checked my coffee cup now. Every time I drink a cup of coffee, I I look in it. I really do. And so, what's the point here? Here it is. Now, can you think that Jesus Christ... The God of all tolerance, all diversity, would have the audacity to say, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. Because you're neither hot and you're not cold. You're just kind of lukewarmness. You're playing both sides of the fence. You got your religious mask on, but I know the truth. I know where you live. I read your emails. Watch your Facebook postings. I know who you really are. And you know what? You make me sick. 
Wow. Can you believe that's in the Scripture? In essence, that's kind of what it's saying, is it not? I vomit you out of my mouth because of your lukewarmness. There's a Greek word for that. It's called yuck. (laughs) Yuck. Right? I call it fence straddling. In your outline, another term I would use to describe this church would be fence straddling. Amen? Just like this. That's kind of what they were doing. They're not in, but they're not out either. They're just hanging on, straddling the fence. And it's not up to par to do that with Jesus. He doesn't like that. It's like politicians. I'm for what you're for. Whatever you're for, that's what I'm for. No stand. Just playing both sides. Kind of like Alabama and Auburn here in Alabama, right? You've got to declare. You cannot fat straddle the fence. Well, I'm just neutral. I hope both of them win. <laughs> that will not cut it here in Alabama. Amen. That's called fence straddling. You can't do that. You've got to be in or out, up or down. <laughs> Amen. Some of you uh, who moved in here are saying, he's right. <laughs> My neighbors have really gotten on to me about that. But, you know, you got to take a stand. That's what Jesus, I like what the old southern preacher said. He said this, it's time for our church to wake up, to sing up, to preach up, to pray up, and never give up or let up or back up or shut up until the church is filled up and we go up. Now, that's not a lukewarm preacher. Believe me, it's like the great theologian said, the only thing in the middle of the road are yellow lines and dead skunks. You cannot play the middle with God. You cannot do that. And that's what the church of Laodicea were doing. They were lukewarm. They were fence straddlers. And Jesus said he didn't like that. Oh, they attended services, but they did nothing to further the gospel of Christ. Why? Because they were looking inwardly. But you say, Jesus said, oh, we're all right. We're wealthy. We got a lot of things going on. We're just content to sit back and watch the world turn as we enjoy the days of our lives. That's where they were. They had no debt. The pastor visited everyone. He never preached uncomfortable sermons. Their church had beautiful facilities. They had well-organized programs. They were always under budget. They had well-attended business meetings. They had a baptistry that was used more to store things in than to hold water. They were very proud of themselves. And Jesus gave a strong indictment against this church. The reason being they had a heart problem. They had a heart problem. I want you to listen to this. There's three types of heart problems in your outline. Number one, there's the burning heart. That's a good thing. The burning heart. The two disciples on the road to Emmaus, you remember that? Didn't our hearts burn within us as Jesus talked to us on the road? They had a burning heart, a passionate heart. They were enthused about Jesus. And then number two, there's the cold heart. The great theologian Hank Williams Sr. wrote one that said... Melt my cold, cold heart. And so the cold heart in Matthew 24, 12, because of their increase of wickedness, 
the love of many will wax cold. You know what that means? Are you listening? There's coming a day, and I believe we're almost in it, if not in it, where the love of many grow cold, apathetic, just don't care, not concerned, cold-hearted, just cold-hearted, don't really care. I've taken care of myself, and we're doing all right. You do what you want to do. That's cold-hearted church. And then number three, the half-hearted church, I call it. The half-hearted church are those who do things halfway, not to their potential, just enough to get by. We're just going to do what we need to do to get by. We're not going to stretch ourselves. We don't want to be challenged. We're content. We're doing all right. Let's just continue as business as usual. No vision. No passion. Just status quo. John Stout said this. Look at this outline. It's in your, um, this quote. Look what, look what he said in your outline. The Laodicean church was a half-hearted church. Perhaps none of the seven letters is more appropriate to the 20th century church than this. It describes vividly the respectable, the sentimental, the nominal, skin-deep religiosity which is so widespread among us today. Our Christianity is flabby and anemic. We appear to have taken a lukewarm bath of religion. That is a good quote. Now look in verse 17. Now, what I'm sharing right now is not a pretty picture. It's really not. And it's not something we like hearing. I don't even like saying it. But if I'm going to be true to the Word of God, I've got to preach the gospel. And that's what Jesus had to say about this church. And all of these churches, these seven churches, one of the things I'm trying to do is help you and I evaluate these seven churches which are representative of every era and find out where you are in these seven churches. I should say Lindsay Lane, but if you're a member of Lindsay Lane, you're a part of the body of Christ, we're talking about us. Where are we individually? And where are we as a church at Lindsay Lane Baptist Church? And so it's not a pretty picture to be lukewarm. And a church that's lukewarm, oh my word. The way you have a church of lukewarm is have members who are lukewarm. Members make up the church. And so when a member's lukewarm, if you have enough of those, you're going to have a church that's lukewarm. And we don't want that, amen? Now look in verse 17. Because you say, look at that, I like, look what he says. Because you say, Jesus is quoting them. You say, I'm rich, I'm wealthy, I don't have any need of anything. All the bills are paid, we've got a debt paid, we've got money in the bank. And by the way, you look at a church like that sometimes, not because they have debts paid, but you look at them, they're proud of themselves. You look around, there's no children. There's no young people coming to that church very much. You know why? Because we got a hold on it. We run this church. We got our bills paid. We're in trouble. We got our committees. Who are you to come in here and tell us? And the next day, you know, they turn into Sardis. They're a dead church. Starts with lukewarmness. And then next thing you know, you're dead. I'm telling you, it's what happens. And that's why Jesus is drawing our attention to this. He had some strong words. Wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. 
And they didn't even know it. They didn't even, wasn't aware of it. In verse 7. They don't even, wasn't, didn't, wasn't aware of it. That's why Paul warned Timothy in 1 Timothy 6.10, For the love of money is the root of all evil. And by the way, it could be, you could say, because you have so much money, it's the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Nothing wrong with that as long as you use it for Christ's sake. All right, that's the indictment. Let's do this together. Get off of point number one. Amen? That's tough. It's a tough indictment. It really is. And we've got to hear it. We've got to understand what the Scriptures say. Let me give you number two. Number two, not only the indictment by Jesus, we see now the imitation of Jesus. Now look what Jesus says to this church in verse number 18. I counsel you to buy from me. Now watch the terminology here. Sounds like an oxymoron. Look at this. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich and white apparel that you may be clothed that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. Wow, there's a lot in that verse of Scripture. What in the world is Jesus saying? He's giving them an invitation to come to Him. Buy from me, He said. You call yourself wealthy and affluent? Okay, buy from me. Buy from me. So what does He mean by this statement, buy from me? Now, I want you to turn to Isaiah chapter 55 because he shed some light on what we're talking about here in verse 18. Turn to Isaiah chapter 55, the Old Testament. Remember last week how we went back to the Old Testament and really gave clarity to what we're trying to say in the New Testament? Same thing here in Isaiah. The prophet Isaiah was speaking to Israel. Uh, they had a sin problem. They'd been hanging out in Babylon, all right? They had been hanging out in Babylon, and so he's writing to them. And look what he says in, in chapter 55. Look in verse number 1. Isaiah 55, verse number 1. My Bible says, Ho. Look at it, it says, Ho. Sounds like Rocky wrote this, right? Ho, Adrian. Ho. 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 Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. Look what Isaiah's saying. Everyone, ho. Everyone who comes, who thirsts. Come to the waters, and you may, and you who have no money, you come and buy and eat. Yes, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Wow, what's he saying? Look at verse 2. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages? For what does not satisfy you? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and let your soul delight itself in abundance. What in the world is Jesus saying? Here's exactly what he's saying. You're buying from the world. You're buying all these pleasures, sexual pleasures. You're buying all this stuff the world has to offer. And then, like many we just read about, you commit suicide. You're divorcing. 
Your children are undone because you're buying from the world's goods. Why don't you come and buy from me? Gold refined in fire means righteousness. Why don't you come and get a load of righteousness? By the way, you don't even need money. All you got to do is come and buy from me. I'll give it to you free. There's no price. Salvation is free. It's a gift from me. You don't have to have money to get this. You got all that money. You're trying to get all that stuff out there in the world. How's that working for you, by the way? How's that working for you? Why don't you just come and buy from me, Jesus said. I'm full of grace. I'm full of righteousness. It won't cost you anything. I'm giving it to you free. And then you live for me as a disciple of Christ. That's exactly what he's saying. You've been so lukewarm. You're not, you're not really happy. You're not enthused. You're going through the motions. You're straddling the fence. You call yourself spiritual and affluent. I'm just ready to spew you out. Until you repent and get right with me. And let me feed you. Let me clothe you. Let me give you the abundant life. I'm telling you. Jesus will give you the abundant life. I'm talking about a life of peace. When you lay your head down at night. I'm talking about a peace where you can feel good. And talk about having roach in your coffee. Not ashamed to just be who you are. Amen. We got so many masks. We're so full of religion in our nation. Nobody knows who anybody is. And Jesus said, why don't you come to me? I'm giving you an invitation. Come buy from me. Hmm. And he says in Matthew 6, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. We've missed that in America. We've missed that. Put him first. You know, when you've got to get up and pry people to tithe and to give, you know you've got to give. Oh, it should be natural. I'm not just talking about money. It should be natural to give because he's blessed you so much. Why would you give all that to the world who's just sucking you in? Why not make it count? Make it count. Amen? He said, I'll give you new garments. Look at this. I'll give you new garments. Verse 18, white garments. That you may be clothed with righteousness. Isaiah talks about the robe of righteousness. That's what he's saying. Come and buy from me. It don't cost you anything. I'll give you a robe of righteousness. I'll give you a white garment. It was bloodstained, but I've made it pure with my blood. I'll anoint your eyes. You know what he's speaking of there? See, I told you, Laodicea had this uh, medical school where they had this, they were manufacturing this salve that would help with eye disease. And so Jesus is using that. They knew all about that. He said, listen, I'll help your eyes see. He's speaking of the Holy Spirit. I'll give you the Holy Spirit who will help you see in life and help you understand the real things of life, not just the counterfeit, not just what looks good, like that apple. I'll give you Holy Spirit eyes so you can see through the stuff and the counterfeit and the facade that Satan has built up in your path. I'll lead you by my Spirit if you'll come in my invitation You'll come to me. 
Oh, I'm telling you, he's trying to help us here. He really is. Let me give you number three. Number three, we see the indictment. Oh, that was bad, wasn't it? The indictment by Jesus. We see number two, the invitation of Jesus. Come, buy from me. And then we see now the intimacy with Jesus. The intimacy with Jesus. Now look in verse 19 and following. And notice this intimacy that you can have with Jesus Christ. As many as I love, I rebuke and I chasten. That word chasten means discipline. Now watch this. Watch what he's saying. As many as I love. He loves everybody, but the meaning there is many that loves me back. That want to be my children. Anybody wants to be my child, I'm going to rebuke and I'm going to discipline. Therefore, be zealous, eager, and repent. Quit being lukewarm. Be eager and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and I'm knocking. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and I will dine with him and he will dine with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne. And by the way, we're going to talk about that when we get in the next few chapters of Revelation. He will sit with me on my throne as I also overcame the world. Jesus overcame the world, the devil, and flesh, if you will. And sat down with my Father on his throne. Now watch this. The intimacy with the Lord Jesus Christ. The reason I use intimacy here is because he has a desire to be intimate with his children. Now, when I got saved, I became a child of God. Amen? Now, I have an earthly dad and earthly mom. But also, I found out that I have a heavenly father that loves me more than any human can love me and has a great desire for me to love him and have an intimate relationship with me. He pursued me like Patsy did. He pursued me. <laughs> Y'all awake now, right? All right. Jesus pursued me. It wasn't that I went looking for him. You ever heard somebody say, oh, I found Jesus. He's never been lost. He pursued me. Why? He wants to have a relationship with me. He wants to be intimate with me. Not just sit in a pew. Not just sing in a choir or stand behind a pulpit. He wants to be intimate. That's called a relationship. It means I'm loving him back. You can't out-love God, but you can love him back. It's called a relationship. It's called a father and son or father and daughter relationship. All through the Scripture, my children, my children, I've adopted you. You're joint heirs with Jesus. So in this relationship, this intimacy I have with Christ, he calls me his children. Now, what does that mean? It means he's the father and I'm the child. It means he sets the rules and I obey. He's the parent. And so in this intimate relationship, he has a standard. And he says, Dusty, I love you so much. Oh, how I love you. I died for you through Jesus. And I want to have this intimate relationship. But I want you to be righteous. I want you to do good. 
I want you to do the right thing. And so I love you so much, when you don't, I'm going to have to deal with you. Oh, I'm not going to kill you because I love you. I died for you. But here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to have to take your rough edges, and I'm going to take my holy sandpaper called the Holy Spirit, and I'm going to have to deal with you. i got to chasten you. I've got to discipline you when you step out of bounds. You know why I do that, Dusty? It's not that I want to punish you or I'm a mean old God. It's because I flat out love you. And the Bible says those whom Jesus loves, he disciplines. Do you love your children, parent, enough to discipline them? Jesus does what he says. I'm going to rebuke you. I'm going to, you know what that means? I'm going to tell you when you're wrong. You know why? Because I'm God. And when you step out of bounds and when you're wrong, my word, I'm going to tell you when you're wrong so you can grow and be righteous and be refined by fire and grow in righteousness. And then if it takes it, I'll have to discipline you some way. Like I did David. I had to discipline David. He was my boy. He was a man after my own heart. But he messed up and I had to discipline. But I loved him. I restored him. Psalms 51, Psalms 32. I restored him. You know why I restored him? Because I'm his daddy. I'm his father. Why wouldn't I? But I'm not going to let him keep on sinning. We've got to draw the line. And I don't want him to be lukewarm. I want him to be excited about his daddy. I want him to be excited about his life that he has in Christ. Not straddling the fence and not being lukewarm. I'm going to help you with this. By the way, I'm going to stand at the door and knock, verse number 20. I'm going to knock and I hope you'll open up. It's a picture here of Jesus. The imagery here in verse number 20 is Jesus standing on the outside knocking in your heart. That's exactly what he... Hey, I'm knocking. Will you let me in? I can't remember who the artist was, but somebody drew a picture of this where Jesus was knocking on the door that had no latch on it. Didn't have a latch where you could open it. You know why? Because you've got to open it up from the inside. He's knocking right now on some of your hearts. He's been knocking for weeks and months and maybe years. Come on in and dine with me. I want to be your daddy. And I want you to be my child. But I'm going to knock. You've got to open that door. I'm going to keep knocking. But there's coming a day that you can close that door. And I'm going to quit knocking. But until then, I want to come in and dine with you. And you dine with me. Have an intimate relationship that we call salvation. And I'm telling you, it works. It really works. The truth here is this. There can be no fellowship or genuine relationship with Christ on the outside of our lives. Now, even Christians can shut him out. Oh, he's come in. He's changed you, but all of a sudden something happened. Sin crept in, and you're getting cold-hearted. And he said, hey, he's not, he's not, he's not knocking to come in. He's knocking to, for you to repent. Repent. Get right. Your daddy's speaking. This is your father. Open up. Repent, and let's have this intimate fellowship again. And some of you need to do that. And then verse 21, 
Those who respond are overcomers. They're overcomers in Christ. Jesus promised to give us a seat to sit on the throne and share His victory. Now, when we get to Revelations somewhere 6, 7, 8, or 9, somewhere like that, we're going to talk about all this throne. Matter of fact, I think it's next week we're going to talk about some of the 24 elders and the four living creatures and all that. Next Sunday we'll talk about that. Here's the picture. Watch this. Jesus came to earth. He put skin on. It's Jesus is God with skin on. You all right with that? That's who he is. He's, he's God in the flesh. Well, he came and he crucified him, put him in the grave. He rose, went back to the Father. Now, what did he do? He went back to the Father and sat down with God on the throne. Remember when Stephen was being stoned to death? He got up. That's my boy. Sit back down with God. Don't, you, don't miss this. What's going to happen when we get raptured up? Where are we going to go? What are we going to do? Well, the Bible says we're going to be at the right hand of the throne with God and Jesus. Matter of fact, look at it in verse number 20, I believe it is, or 21. Verse 21. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne. And I also overcame, as I also overcame, and sat down with my Father on His throne. Now we're going to sit down with the Father, and then, after the rapture and the tribulation's over, He's going to say, all right, guys, get up. Get up. We're going back to earth. The end time is here. And we're going to come back in radiant white robes, and we're going to come back with Jesus as victorious because we're overcomers because he overcame. And I can call myself today an overcomer because Christ overcame sin and the devil in my life. And he's made me an overcomer. Amen? And so I'm sitting down at the right hand of the Father with him until that day when we get up and we continuously with the 24 elders worship him and throw our crowns at his feet. And forever and ever worship God. Now I want you to see verse 22 and I'm closing. Watch this, verse 22. Seven times in Revelations 2 and 3, he's spoken this to every single church. Seven times he says this in verse 22. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, the seven churches. If you have an ear, you've got to listen to the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? It means the importance that he who has an ear needs to quit listening to all these other voices. And by the way, there's a lot of voices out there speaking into your life. But he says, listen, if you've got an ear, you better start hearing me because I'm coming back. And I'm the one that holds the death of Hell and heaven in my hand. And I'm knocking on your heart. Will you let me in? And if you will, I'll have an intimate relationship with you forever and ever and ever. The Spirit is speaking. Are you listening? Second question, are you a lukewarm Christian? Are you a fence straddler? Would you examine your heart right now? Are you lukewarm with Christ? 
You can be refined. You can take on the righteousness, the enthusiasm, the passion. Maybe you once had that as a Christian and lost it. Just kind of drifted away. You got away from God. Repent and come back to Jesus. Maybe you're not a Christian. You've never really accepted Christ. And right now, God's made it very clear into your heart that if you're going to be an overcomer, you've got to come to the door and let him in. He's knocking. He's willing. He's able. And if you're ready to let Jesus into your heart, you don't have to clean up anything to come to Jesus. All you've got to do is put your yes on the table and say, Lord, touch me, save me. Here I am. I want you into my life. And Father, would you bless this invitation? Lord, as we sing and as we have an invitation, I pray, O oh Father, that your Holy Spirit would consume this place. That, Lord, you would grip our hearts and we wouldn't be ashamed. Lord, we would take off our pride, the mask of pride and religiosity. And, Lord, we would quit being lukewarm. We would quit being a fence straddler. And we would get in or out, up or down. It's decision time. We're living in a generation in a society today that there's no fence straddling. You're either in or out, up or down, saved or lost. And I'm praying for this invitation, Lord. I just pray you would move and do what no man can do. And that save people and draw them to Jesus. Let your spirit move in the name of Jesus. We sang about it today. In that name above every name, we claim it right now, Christ. Lord Jesus, draw people, save people, change people's lives. Let us be overcomers in the 21st century, in this great church, in this great time, in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand?